Alright, welcome into another episode of Cowboys Right for Free, the podcast. This is episode 64. I'm Joel Penfield, and I'm joined by Philip Slavin sitting in his master bedroom closet. Philip, how are you doing? Uh, I'm pretty comfy sitting here on some bath mats and a pillow, and uh, I'm feeling good. Hey, if we're good to go, then let's let's keep rolling. How was your weekend? It was solid. Uh, my wife and I were in the state of Oklahoma, not at the game. We were actually in town for a wedding. Her former roommate, uh, Rachel, shout out to... Rachel and Taylor now Henderson. Congrats on their marriage. Taylor is a is a big OSU fan. Um, he did as good a job as he could following the game, whilst also uh, having to talk to about two hundred people. So it was a good that it was is, a good weekend. We uh, ate our way across OKC and are and are back now, ready for another exciting work week. All right. Well, congratulations to them. Uh, getting married uh, during football season on a Saturday is definitely a bold thing to do, but, you know, props to them and, you know, best of luck to them uh, in their lives together. And uh, and another big weekend for Oklahoma State. Uh, completely, we completely botched this one, Phillip. Uh, we, we both picked Boise State to win this game, and uh, the Cowboys completely shut us up here. <laughs> As I said last week, I, I always like to pick against my favorite team when uh, putting money on the line. That way I'm a winner either way. So I am happy, happy to have been wrong in my pick uh, with Boise State. And I'm glad to see OSU not only win but dominate one of the best uh, group of five teams and a ranked opponent uh, at home on Saturday. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was one of the better atmospheres I've had in Boone Pick. I've seen in Boone Pick and Stadium since I've been a student. Because I walked into the stadium about three minutes off in the first quarter once I clocked out of work, and I could feel just the buzz in the stadium. Like, everyone knew how big of a game it was, and the team delivered. And I was in shock to a certain extent sitting there in the, in the stands watching Oklahoma State just get stop after stop after stop, and then the offense start getting on a roll. And it was – it was a lot of fun. I was really pumped up after that game. So I'll be honest, uh, the I followed the game mostly on my phone and would watch when I could at the reception. I actually just, we're recording this uh, Sunday night, I just finished going back and watching the whole thing before we recorded. And I, man, I just, I came away so impressed by what I saw on a number of phases. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't, I'm, I'm still not ready to put OSU in my top four for the playoff, but I came away from that game incredibly impressed by every side of the ball. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt too. I was very impressed. After the Cornelius and the offense kind of got through the jitters of those first couple drives, they got on a roll really, really quick, and the defense kept them getting them back on the field quickly so that they were able to keep that momentum I think that was my biggest takeaway was how good the defense looked. I was really, this was going to be the biggest test for them. We really didn't see a ton of big stunts or big, you know, style, you know, variances in the defense the first couple weeks playing Missouri State and South Alabama, but they were getting after the quarterback. They were getting in the backfield. They, I was just, I was impressed across the board. I really was. They were fast they were incredibly fast that we finally saw the aggressiveness that we'd heard about all offseason about the Jim Knowles defense and I'll point something out you know that first touchdown that OSU gave up in the second quarter to Boise State you know if you really watch them they weren't they were kind of playing more of that soft hold back hold back I mean they, they still sent you know the the edge rushers at uh, Brett Ripon, but they they were playing kind of back a bit more. And once they stopped doing that, once they went all in, 
I, you could you could tell a big difference in speed and talent level from what Oklahoma State had on the field and what Boise State had on the field. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a big difference, and you could see it. I loved how fast the defense was playing. I mean, what what Jordan Brailford was doing to Brett Ripon should be illegal in like thirty countries. Like, it he was so fast off the line. Bondage was in the backfield constantly. He had a tackle, one and a half tackles lost, but he had led the team again in tackles. He's all over the place. It's incredible what he's able to do in this defense. And that's not counting all the opportunities he had back there that just couldn't quite finish I mean he could have finished with at least two more sacks a couple more tackles for a loss you know there's a really interesting stat I wanted to point out and um, shout out to uh, Colin Clark from Big 12 country so through three weeks uh, of the top 10 Big 12 players in tackles for a loss Oklahoma State has four in the conference four Brailford leads the Big 12 with six and a half Bundage has four and then Justin Phillips and Jarrell Owens both have three and a half that is an insane stat for this defense. And if it's something that they can continue to have going at that level through the rest of the conference play, this really could be, if not, this might actually be a better defense than the one in 2013 that was so awesome. Yeah, that this this has the makings to be one of the better defensive teams Oklahoma State has had in the last couple of years. The talent level is getting there they're starting to reach that potential and get start you know the maturation of some of these younger guys but with the you know the production they're able to have right now while still developing in a brand new defense says a lot about the coaching and what these players are able to do you know we've talked about the defense uh offense for a minute you mentioned just briefly um cornelius has continued to look better and not just better but far more confident far more sure of himself and he's you can tell that the relationship he's building with the other players, the running backs and, and the wide receivers, is continuing to grow. Now, he, he wasn't perfect. Um, there was, I believe it was in the third quarter, um, there was what should have been an interception by Boise State. Uh, Cornelius threw the, overthrew the ball, and uh, if the, but the defender came down out of bounds, so it, it wasn't. You're st- I think we're still going to have those throughout the season. He's still going to throw some picks here and there. Um, there were still some some balls way overthrown uh, on deep passes, and, and the defenders for Boise State were still able to get to him a few times. The offensive line did well; they held up well a lot of the game and and gave him an opportunity, a lot of opportunities to to sit back there and throw the ball. But there's there's still some some issues there that are going to have to be addressed. I just I I watched that game and came away going. When Mike Gundy said he is Taylor Cornelius is our best chance to win, I I I believe him now. I really do. I'm I'm not sure there's anyone else on the roster at this point in time who is going to do as well as Cornelius is doing. And if if this is what we can expect from Cornelius week in week out, the ability to run, um, the ability to throw the ball, especially on the short and intermediate passes, well and to continue to improve his decision-making, I think Oklahoma State's going to have a really good year with a guy who's a former walk-on. Yeah, it's extremely impressive what he's been able to do week to week to week. You can see the improvement. You can see the confidence getting there. I've been really, really impressed with what he's done, especially yesterday. He gave Oklahoma State everything he had to win that game. He made the, the throws when he needed to, missed a few, but on the whole, made the throws when he needed to make them and put his receivers in the best opportunity to make the play. 
gave it to his running backs when he when he made the right read. His ability to run was what impressed me the most. I think his ability to extend plays, too. There were a couple of times specifically where Boise State had him dead to rights in the pocket. And when he was able to get out and extend the play and make a throw, at least give give Oklahoma State another opportunity. And I remember one specifically where he came out of the pocket, like spun around, and Dylan Stoner was standing there in the like in the flats as a safety net, and Cornelius pointed to him downfield and just threw up a ball right over the linebacker's head and got the first down on you know and on like a second and seven or something like that. But I think his ability to do that that just shows how much confidence he has now making plays and making plays that aren't in the playbook. I agree. I, I do have one concern, though, I'll state is I love his ability to run, and I, and I love that the, that Mike Yersich, shout out to Mikey Y for doing an awesome job incorporating the run for Cornelius, is that that threat needs to be there, and it's something they need to utilize every game because it, al- it opens up so much more for the offense for them. But by the end of that game, Cornelius was battered, out of breath and bloody, and I, I'll be honest, um, I, I, I don't. I'm knock on wood, but let's let's hope the injury bug doesn't show up because if he continues to have to play that way every game, it something something's gonna happen. Yeah, it's definitely a concern if he is going to continue to run like this, and I think he had he's a big enough guy that he can take a few hits, but. It, it adds up over time like he, he being hurt isn't going to be whenever he if you know and again knock on wood that if he ever gets injured it wasn't that game it was probably the two weeks prior and everything just comes together just for that the way he plays and, and you know it is concerning but at the same time I think they're going to be able to utilize him in a way that will prevent injuries at least we can hope you know there's enough talent there that we're not relying on him to run the ball 20, 30 times a game, you know, as a quarterback or kind of have that Colin Klein, you know, design quarterback run on every other play because, you know, that's the style that he can play. He can still sit back and make a throw. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, One other thing I think we need to address the special teams a bit. Everyone's going to give him an A grade this week with the two block punts. Um, I would would slow my roll just a bit on that if you really listen to what the announcers are saying. the the biggest reason for that, I think, it was less to do with Oklahoma State and more to do with Boise State. They, they noted uh, before the game that the Boise State's punter, they were getting that ball off late. It was going over two seconds before that ball was up in the air. And you want to get it under two seconds. Oklahoma State realized that was the situation before the game and was able to take advantage of it. Against teams like Kansas State, Oklahoma State, teams with good special teams that coach special teams well, that ain't going to be there. It's not going to happen. Um Oh, the special teams look good. I still think we have two solid returners in Chuba Hubbard and Dylan Stoner. But I don't don't assume that what you saw on Saturday is going to be the norm moving forward. No, absolutely. You can't, you know, rely on punt blocks every time. It is nice to have. And I think Oklahoma State's second in the nation since 2013 in block punts and kicks. So at least they have that in their back pocket. But you can't you can't expect that to happen every week. What they were able to do and capitalize on that is more impressive to me, getting the scoop and score. And then even though they didn't punch it into the end zone on the first one, to still get points out of that was a huge momentum shift. Yeah. Overall, uh, I was very impressed. Uh, I'm, I'm, excited to see, I'm excited to see them continue to progress and what they're going to do uh, next week. I know we'll get more into the Texas Tech game 
um, on Thursday's episode. But I'm, I'm very excited to see what they do against Texas Tech, especially for the defense against a, a Texas Tech offense that looks like it's found itself after a putting up 63 points on a decent Houston defense on Saturday. Good grief. Yeah, Al, what Alan Bowman did, that, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily his coming out party yet and that he's, you know, going to be the guy. You know, I obviously put up 605 yards. He's a stud, but let's see if, what he can do next week. And this is really his true, first true road game. He played that the second half of that neutral site game after McLean Carter went down against Ole Miss and then played Lamar, all right? What he was able to do against a, a very good Houston team and Ed Oliver on that, you know, put up 605 yards, five touchdowns. You know, he, he shows that he has an arm and he's willing to sling it around. So what were some of your other takeaways from the Big 12 from this Saturday? Uh, shout out to Kansas. My goodness, they put an absolute whooping on Rutgers. Put up 55. I believe I saw somewhere that was the first time they put up 35 or more in, in a game against an FBS opponent since like 2009 or 10. First time they won back-to-back games since 2011. So it's kind of funny on Twitter seeing everyone go Kansas is back. It's you know it's pretty funny that they're trying to trying to pull that. I wouldn't. I'm not going that far yet, but it is. It's awesome to see them win a couple games. It really is. Let me let me throw some more fun stats at you. So that was the if I remember correctly, the that is the biggest win they've had over an FBS opponent since the win over Baylor in 2007, and that's the year they went 12 and one and and won the Orange Bowl. More fun stats for you. Uh, in the last two games, after losing to an FCS team, Kansas has outscored their last two opponents, one on the road, one at home, 86-21. to 21. They have forced 12 combined turnovers, six in each game, seven interceptions, and five forced fumbles, and have not turned the ball over once, and have outgained those opponents 905 yards to 554. Where did this come from? Like, where on earth did this Kansas team – and I understand Puka Williams is a good running back and has, has been great for them, but good grief, where has this team been for the last decade? Yeah, no kidding. I, I don't know where this came from, but it's inspired football, that's for sure. I'm sure they, they read all of the, you know, the things that people were saying. I mean, there was a Kansas professor who said they just need to cancel the football program after, program after they lost Nickel State. I mean – I mean, that's silly, it, but it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, granted it is, but I mean, that's the kind of like bulletin board material if you want to call it that. But it was, it's really cool to see them, you know, at least be try and be relevant again and see, let's see if they can win a couple conference games. Not against us. They can be Texas again. That would be amazing. I, I would like but, to point out that Kansas will be this Oklahoma State's first road team of the season in two weeks. Hooray. <laughs> So, no, I'm not saying we're going to lose Kansas. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say we're going to lose Kansas. They're still but Kansas. But, first road game of the season, first road game for Cornelius to start at will be at Kansas. So, just keep that in mind. Uh, I mean, I'm sure all 3,000 fans that'll be there will be, uh, they'll be loud and rowdy for them. Oh, man. That, that might be a. I don't know. You know, they've, they've won two games. If they go to Baylor this week and win. Look out! There might actually be fans in that stands come uh, come when OSU shows up. Yeah, we'll see. Who, who knows? If they if they win that game, I, I'm not necessarily going to be worried, but I think they might. That game might raise my blood pressure a little more than I would want. Yeah. Uh, two other things I thought were interesting. One is uh, TCU is really good. 
I, I know they lost to Ohio State. They basically had a five-minute stretch in the third quarter where they just completely fell apart. Ohio State scored like 20 straight points and, and never looked back. But TCU is legit. That defense and those wide receivers and that defense were impressive against Ohio State. Like, I'm not kidding. They looked fantastic. Sean Robinson made a lot of mistakes. He's a freshman. It's understandable. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. Um, and I think TCU is legit. And then their opponent for week three, week four is Texas. And who the hell knows with Texas? I mean, destroyed USC. I don't think USC is that great. Um, they, at this point, even with their, with their roster, they beat up on everybody that's inferior to them, but get trounced by everybody with an equal or uh, superior roster. So I have no idea what to take away from that Texas win other than, it's good for the Big 12. It is. Yeah, it, it's, it is good for the Big 12. I was glad to see Texas win as much as that pains my heart just a little bit, say. Um, it could be worse, though. One of my roommates uh, grew up an Aggie fan, so it uh, it really hurt him to see Texas do well and to even admit that uh, it is good for our conference. That was kind of funny to me. That was my entertainment for the night. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the Big 12 is going to be interesting this season. I think TCU's performance against Ohio State, Texas winning – Oklahoma State winning and OU beating Iowa State um, helps kind of lock, makes the reputation of the Big 12 look better moving forward. Yes. I, I, I honestly th- really do think that. Even though TCU lost, um, I think I think the Big 12 is fine because anybody who watched that Ohio State-TCU game saw a TCU, the team that, that very well could have won that game. Uh, and things just didn't quite go their way through it for that one, you know, few minute stretch. Um, and I think TCU is legitimate. If they're the if TCU is the fourth best team in the Big Twelve this year, the Big Twelve is fine. Yeah, exactly. And if nothing else, we know that we're better than the Big Ten right now. <laughs> oh man, yeah, they're terrible. Oh, it's fun. Uh, my one of my roommates gave uh, told me a little nugget this morning that. Uh, it was something to the effect of that was the first time that a single conference has lost. They lost seven non-conference un, to seven non-conference unranked opponents for the first time since the AP poll came about in 1936. Bravo, Big Ten. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for even if our conference may not be that great, at least we're not them. Yeah. Uh, back to Oklahoma State. This is an Oklahoma State podcast. Uh, hey, but well, we got, there is there is some there is greater college football around. Oh yeah, there, no, there's... no, don't get me wrong. Yeah, um, what was your takeaway? For, what would you think about the uniforms? Okay, I like the white, orange, white. I knew they were gonna do it with the striped stadium. Which, by the way, I was pleasantly surprised at how well it looked. Um, yeah, I didn't think th- I did not think this was the game to do it though because it did look very weird on the far uh, east side of the stadium with all the little blue specks in there. But uh, overall, I was pretty impressed with how the crowd reacted to it. I mean, so, and I looked good a couple of years ago when they did it against Pittsburgh. So, I, I think this is something we'll see every once in a while. But you know, I, it wasn't too bad. So I knew they were gonna do white, orange, white. Uh, I like the helmet. I like having when they wear the OSU brand. It's just it's a classic look. But I I know we kind of disagree on this. But I liked the bandana stripe down the middle. I thought it was kind of a unique thing. I know they like kind of having that sort of. Uh, 
that sort of uh, pattern, you know, on the uniforms. But I like having that rather than the full Ed Hardy bandana helmet. I need that every once in a while, but I kind of like when they just supplement that little stripe in there. So let me clarify my stance. I like white, orange, white, um, and I like the white helmet. And it's not that I dislike the Ed Hardy stripe. It's that I don't think it with the brand looks as good as it would have looked with the badge. I think the badge would have looked better with that stripe in particular than the Chrome brand does. I like all the elements. I just didn't necessarily like them all together or think they were as strong or as well utilized as they could have been. Now, I like the white, orange, white. I thought the striping, from the TV standpoint, the striping looked great. Um, There, of course, are always those fans who can't quite get the memo and wear what you're supposed to wear. Good job, guys. Um, But for the most part, I thought it looked fantastic on TV. Um, The crowd was awesome from what I could tell. So I don't have a problem doing it every once in a while. I mean, I don't know that I need it every year, and I don't want to do it in conference play. I like doing it, you know, when when your one Power 5 opponent in non-conference comes to town, then doing it then, I'm okay with that. When Oregon State comes to Stillwater in two years, I'm okay with it. I don't need to do it for Tulsa or Missouri State, or and I don't want to do it in a conference game. But I like it when they do it for a home game, uh, in the non-conference against a Power 5 opponent, like they've done the last two times with Pitt two years ago and then Boise State this year. I'm I'm okay with that. That That's fine for me. Yeah, absolutely. I was good with it. I thought it looked, like like I said, in the stands, it was kind of, it was cool to see. I, I didn't know how it was going to look when I walked out onto the uh, onto the concourse when I got off work, but I, I was impressed with the, the turnout, not only the turnout, because it was packed in that stadium. It was almost sold out, I'm pretty sure. And for the whole crowd to pretty much be in on the whole thing, it was I, I was pleasantly surprised. So well done to the fans. Shout out everybody. Uh, but now we're all gonna be back wearing orange uh, next Saturday for a night game in Boone Pickens Stadium. How about that? That's a, that's two night games on Saturdays in the first four games of the season. I don't know. I don't really feel like doing the research to find out when the last time that happened was. Let alone two night games at home in a season. Uh, but that is awesome. Uh, that is going to be fantastic. It's exciting. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, any final thoughts for uh, this episode before we come back and preview Texas Tech later this week? Uh, yeah, Tylen Wallace is legit, and I am so, so... Like, don't get me wrong, I'm still the biggest Dylan Stoner fan uh, of OSU fans. If you think you're a bigger fan than I am, let's go. Let's throw down. I'm ready for it. But Tylen Wallace is legit. Good grief. And I think he is Cornelius's favorite target. Like, I and I'm I'm okay with that. I really am. Also, shocking fact that this was Dylan Stoner's first touchdown catch of the season. How did that happen? What took so yeah, long? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's been a he's been a safety blanket for Cornelius on third down. Just go f- find him and throw him over the middle of the field. But I was glad to see him get out in space, and he can run. <laughs> when he gets out in space, I mean it's. Oklahoma State has some guys, if you give them a little bit of room, uh, it's over. <laughs> and they're, and they're going to score. If you had told me that Jalen McCleskey is probably the fourth best wide receiver on this roster coming into the year, I would not know who else to put. Like, I probably would have put Stoner, and I definitely would have put Tyron ahead of him. But I don't know that I would have picked anyone else above McCleskey. And Tylen is... I don't mean this is a knock against McCleskey because I think he's still a solid player. I think he's really good. But Tylen is better. He, he's one of the best wide receivers on the team right now, if not 
reaching that top spot right now. It's really impressive what he can do. And he's only a true sophomore. <laughs> he hasn't even reached his full potential yet, which is awesome to see. My final thought is Justice Hill is a bad, bad man. <laughs> that guy, when he gets in open space, he'll he'll win one-on-ones. He'll stiff-arm people. He will get around you any way he can. But I think the thing I love the most was on that touchdown run that got called back, 79-yarder. At the end of that play, all I, I went to see the Twitter reaction just because it went during the commercial break because I wanted to see what everyone thought about it because we all lost our minds in the stands. But I saw four different people say, in, in tweets and wrote, that that was the most emotion I've ever seen Justice Hill show in my life, and it was incredible. Like, when he's that excited about I, I think that just says enough about what kind of player he is. Yeah, I, he's so much fun to watch. And that stiff arm. <laughs> that stiff arm in the fourth quarter <laughs> was uh, grown-ass man stuff, and it was awesome. That, that was that was some grown-ass man stuff, and I love that. I uh, I actually made that my Twitter header. It was, for a week, it was the Gundy smoothie picture, but I think the Justice Hill stiff arm kind of trumps that a little bit, and uh, it's going to be there for a little while until I, I find something better. I, I can't disagree with you. Yeah. All right, well, I think that wraps up this episode. Uh, Philip, where can they find you on Twitter? Follow me at OKTXARPoke. Unless it's complicated, you can just look for Philip Slavin and you'll find me. Um, you can also follow my podcast, the 1012 Podcast, at the number 10, the number 12, the word podcast. We cover all uh, all Big 12 teams. Uh, this week we should be doing uh, a couple of previews. Not Oklahoma State this week. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get to them again. Uh, but if you like if you like me here, come listen. If you don't like me here, that's also great because I bring on other smarter people to talk on my show with me. Don't don't sell yourself short. You got a, you got a good podcast. You got good commentary. I really enjoy listening to it. Uh, whenever I'm walking uh, back and forth to class, it's really good stuff. Helps keep me uh, keep me informed on the rest of the Big Twelve. So I, I love it. It's really good stuff. You can follow me at JT Penfield and be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. We will be back on Thursday with another episode of Cowboy Drive Free, the podcast. Uh, We'll be previewing the Texas Tech game, so we'll see you all then.